Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Daryl Wesley. He received his BFA from the Cooper Union in 2014. Upon graduation, Daryl began an apprenticeship at the Jeff Koons Studio, concluding in 2016, whereupon he participated in the Beirut Arts Residency Program in Beirut, Lebanon. His solo presentations include A Dream Deferred at 1969 Gallery in New York, Interior Exterior at the Paris, Texas LA Gallery in LA, Daryl's group exhibitions include Every Day is Sunday at UTA Artist Space in Beverly Hills, California, Animal Kingdom at Alexander Berg Gruen Gallery in New York, Vanishing Ocular, curated by David Sally and Nicole Wittenberg, Rental Gallery, East Hampton, and Ways to Die by the Bruce High Quality Foundation. Daryl's collections include the Rima Hort Foundation, the Portland Museum of Art, the Fidelity Collection, among many others. This June, Daryl will show work as part of Skin Plus Masks, a group exhibition at Kavi Gupta curated by Vic Mensa. Daryl currently lives and works in New York City. Welcome to this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Daryl Wesley. Daryl, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you, Phyllis. It's such a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us, when did you discover your interest in the visual arts? I would say it was really kind of, I think, a, a, a cross-pollination between... Um, Growing up in Chicago, um, in High Park, which was a very like kind of culturally and ethnically diverse neighborhood. And um, my parents being actively involved in different, very creative circles. Like I was able to be exposed to a lot of different creative people of all walks of life, black, white, what have you. And seeing these different kind of ways in which people operate, in which people move, and communication being a huge part of the way in which my father kind of moved throughout the world as a reporter, um, really got me interested in terms of the way in which people can go and kind of communicate their experiences and how I could communicate my own. So in a way, it was like really, I'd say sort of like more like literary arts that really informed me growing up. And as I kind of started to look towards different things, such as like 
satire, comics, newspaper comics. My dad had this huge comic collection just like spread from um, when he was like a, a kid into like, you know, when basically I was a teenager. Um, so like, you know, 30, 40 years, I would go and read all these different comic books. And all of a sudden this kind of like, you know, I would kind of start to have this interest in terms of the way in which like language can go and communicate with image. And uh, Chicago being a city full of like amazing institutions, such as the Art Institute and things like that, eventually as I went into high school, I was able to kind of uh, explore these different kind of like and parts of like art with a capital A and slowly but surely starts to like, you know, bridge these different worlds together. Did you start drawing comic books? I started drawing comic books. Uh, you know, I would read... <laughs> I would read, read comics like Brenda Starr or Calvin and Hobbes. And then, uh, you know, Spider-Man was a, a big inspiration and stuff like that when I was younger. And also, like, there was this book, I want to say it was like Dardigan's uh, Illustrated Greek Mythology. And the idea of kind of like marrying these different sort of like stories oftentimes dealing with like, you know, integrity or these different kind of like, or tragedy, these different kind of ideas of like justice or whatnot, um, was this really, I think, interesting way of like kind of starting to create a motivation as to like what art and how art can kind of exist within like, uh, like socially. So I think for me, there's always been like a kind of a social aspect to like, you know, what's been interesting in art in terms of like communication and like how you can kind of like art can allow for certain voices to be heard, certain subtle experiences to be like felt or communicated that they might not, that might not be able to otherwise within like maybe common conversation or everyday life. So who influenced you early on? What, what artists? You know, I'd say one of the first like real like connections I feel like I had with an artist was, uh, Rodin, there was this bookstore uh, that was like close to my elementary school that I would go to. And uh, I remember picking up this huge tome just on like Rodin's like work and reading about it and seeing like, um, or reading about his work and kind of like going through like some of his early pieces to like, you know, the, the Berbers of Kali, um, I started to sort of have this real interest in terms of biography in terms of the way in which like you know an artist kind of goes about the journey building like from an idea and one of the things that really i remember stuck with me because i was reading this a lot in high school i was sort of like starting to decide that i wanted to move out of chicago that he said it only takes one work to define an artist right or to kind of like and i'm paraphrasing here but that going and trying to give and how much you give to work when you do that, when you give your all to a piece or something like that, like you, you're giving it the ability to sort of live and to occupy this place within people's minds or within like, you know, a certain kind of conversation or possibly entrance into this conversation with the zeitgeist. And it's something I've like, I feel like I've taken to heart in terms of the way that I approach my art is going and thinking about like what you can give or what I can personally give to each piece of work that I create, that each of them sort of, that every artwork I make is kind of like another ability to go and wrestle with different ideas that maybe I wasn't able to take on within the last work. So while you're creating, are those thoughts running through your mind? I mean, do you care 
Are you concerned about what your audience thinks, you know, what they absorb when they view your work? I think I tend to try and think about or to sort of take a step back from the work and kind of, I mean, ultimately it starts with what I would like to see. And when I'm considering that, I'm trying to go and like, like, you know, like the questions I'm kind of pondering for myself in terms of what I want to see. It's like, well, what, what's exciting? Like what, what are things that, you know, like a certain kind of balance between, you know, formal concerns um, and as well as like in terms of like imagery and at times like, you know, I, I have a certain attraction to whether it be like, uh, like allegory or the way in which a painting can kind of also function as like a means of looking at an understanding visual imagery within a different way. And it's something that I really started to think a lot about in high school and also going into college was in terms of the way in which like the internet started to breach this certain kind of like connection or this certain kind of like new language in terms of like how we go and understand communication that with text messaging and things like aim and whatnot like the way in which we would type letters or the way in which you would use certain things such as a period or exclamation mark or the way in which imagery would go and deteriorate or be high res was like would be indicative of certain ideas of like high and low or high quality images or being indicative of like, you know, a high speed computer, which would also mean like maybe, you know, access to wealth or access to good technology and low quality images being something else. And depending on what the imagery is itself, we're dealing with all these different modifiers. So when I think about painting, I'm also thinking about these different experiences going back into me growing up in Chicago, where Hyde Park, though it was this kind of cultural bastion in and of itself, was surrounded by ghettos. And you were always held within these sort of like this high relief up against the other different sides of Chicago, which would be the west side, the south side, the north side. And the north side always being like, you know, attributed to wealth, whereas the south side generally outside of somewhere such as Hyde Park would be attributed with like poverty. And I think growing up like that, and I think this is also, you know, relatively symbolic or relatively like, you know, common to, I think the African-American experience, or at least the inner city African-American experience in general, you're very aware of these different class modifiers and things. And that sensitivity at times, I think, creates this interest in terms of going and thinking about communication and code switching and these other different ways in which we kind of like uh, have to navigate the world. But I think also allows for a deep sense of like empathy through like the need at times for assimilation and connection. Are those memories reflected in your work? I start with photography um, because I think one of the things that photography allows for is this connection to reality. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of like, you know, and going to literary idea of like that, you know, it's like great fiction is like written from experience felt or lived, you know, because there is that underlying moment of life. Like, I like to think of photography as a way to go and inform and to like draw upon the different ways in which like it can evoke memories or experiences. But then those experiences are almost like the to a certain extent, like this other medium outside of the pain itself that allows me to go and create these different sort of experiences within each work. 
Define your practice for us. Uh, what uh, what materials do you use? It's it's a process. I would say it's like you know essentially it's it's a process based um, way that ultimately um, culminates within oil painting, but uses different forms of digital media such as photography, digital image manipulation, and uh, and drawing to then go and create these studies that then go and become the basis for which I go and create paintings. A lot of my practice, I'm thinking about how to go and rectify or sort of take images or experiences or feelings that at times can feel complex, if not convoluted, especially in regards to current events or different kinds of ideas like leisure and uh, excess and to more or less kind of like coalesce those and kind of bring them together into like a large, a, a larger kind of conversation about both my personal identity, but also the American experience and particularly contemporary American experience in terms of going and understanding ourselves in relativity to the history of America, where America stands today within a global kind of economy and what it kind of looks like going forward in terms of like what the world can be now that we're connected through things such as the internet. How did COVID Im impact you? COVID impacted me in a number of ways. I think it actually went and allowed for a lot of the way in which I work, which is using digital imagery to really be able to resound in a way that was even more impactful as a result of that, so many people were being restricted to the screen as a way of going and like receiving information or understanding experiences. I would use in a lot of different of my works, especially like uh, works prior to 2020 to go and kind of like comment on different ideas like leisure and things like that was like travel magazines. Because for me, I felt that it was interesting seeing how my understanding of certain kind of locales or locations was very much colored by the way in which they would be like what was presented through a search engine or what was presented through a issue of Condé Nast Traveler or Travel and Leisure. And how areas like the Caribbean and things like that would always be beaches. Whereas like, you know, if you're looking at a city like Amsterdam or, you know, London, it was institutions and, you know, places of great learning and how that would go and color these different kinds of ideas. It's like of what someplace had to offer. It's like, do I only, I don't, I can't learn anything if I go to the Caribbean and I only like spend my time in a library if I go to London and how that goes and creates these different ideas of what we see and how we understand ourselves uh, through media. So that being said, like with things such as George Floyd and the marshes here in New York and the way in which social media and hashtags and things like that really became this major way of in which people started to understand themselves as part of communities or just separate from certain communities or as a means of like self-expression, the screen became one of the most important ways in which we could go about affirming our allegiance to a flag or away from it. Do you listen to music while you work? I do. I, I mean, occasionally, actually. I mean, it's like sometimes 
I'll choose to just work in silence. And then other times it's, you know, it's, it's something which I'll go and do, particularly when I feel like there's a need to kind of like to disrupt, like, I think music, especially like, you know, now recently, like, you know, if I'm going and playing music, like I a friend of mine uh, has this, this, this playlist that he sent me, which is essentially for the most part is sort of like almost like trance music. And there's very, there's no lyrics for the most part. And it's just like sort of beats, which sort of like go and build over like, you know, the course of a number of minutes. And I think that at this particular point, um, when I'm in the studio, it's like, I'm, I think it's really important to be present within like the work and how I'm kind of like shifting uh, around the process of the paint, the process of the paint or like the paint on the painting and things like that, which allows for me to go and then consider like different choices as opposed to sometimes I think music can be a color in and of itself where I could be lost within the music rather than focusing on the act of painting itself. So you don't listen to music while you paint? Not often. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I'll, I'll vacillate between. So you want all your senses to focus on your work? Yeah, I think um, the idea of being present is something that's, like, uh, I think really important, I think, in terms of decision-making. And that's, you know, again, kind of why I just, like, I kind of describe the work as being process-based, is that it is these, these different decisions. And prior to the pandemic, I sort of had this moment when I was actually, I was at this friend's studio where I had uh, had a lot of, a lot of things I was sort of like trying to juggle at the time. I was dealing with a, a bunch of different, just like responsibilities, uh, you know, both personally and work related and kind of had this epiphany where it was just like, you know, I remember saying to my friend, I was like, you know, I, I, I need to control the painting. I can't let the painting control me. And one of the things, and what, what that really was, was going and thinking about in terms of that informing or letting a certain kind of process, like in relativity to the work, whether that be like the creation of a study that then goes and forms the painting itself, to go and have so much power over the final work that it would become almost too piecemeal or too much of a sort of like system of like mechanical reproduction as opposed to something of allowing each stage of the work to really go and inform and truly like the, the actual like just salt in, in finding a wedding between each of these different forms or these different steps of the process. How do you keep learning? I think one of the beautiful things about being in New York is that, you know, you can almost be like a radio station, you know, like you, you can, uh, you can tune your receivers so that, you know, you don't hear anything but static. But if you want just walking outside, you can just go and enter into a whole nother universe. You walk into a bar, you walk into a coffee shop, and all of a sudden you hear this person with a, with a story that you never would have imagined, you know, and just, um, and if you can allow yourself to, to empathize and to walk into that, you can learn and have so much to explore. I think that at this particular moment, I've been thinking a lot in terms of like different kinds of techniques of painting um, and different ways of like dealing with like the surface of the painting or, or what surface in and of itself and align myself to kind of go and really just have the, uh, the time to go and experiment. I think one of the things that I like to, uh, 
you know, considered is just pressing the restart button and letting new things kind of like flow in and flow out, which is, which is really a wonderful experience. And what are you excited about now? Quite a few things. I mean, I'd say like coming out of um, COVID, hopefully, or as we like rather the lockdown, I think that there's a lot of really interesting conversations that I think that are now happening within like you know, the world at large in regards to not only art, but also space and what space means. Like considering that, you know, we're coming into this, you know, this almost this reopening and how coveted like things such as like, you know, public parks and things like that were prior to the pandemic uh, or during the pandemic rather. I think there's almost going to be a new kind of pastoralism that we're going to be interested in like entering into because like New York has almost taken on this new kind of meaning as well too. Like the people that stayed here when nothing was accessible had these really particular ideas and these really particular like passions about what New York was not only during lockdown, but what it could be. And I think part of that has to deal with like a certain amount of legacy and understanding that as people living within the city or let alone just as people ultimately like we're ultimately the executors or the arbiters of like the change that we want to see. And we saw that firsthand as being possible through such things as George Floyd and, you know, black, the black lives matter movement and, you know, conversely, January 6th, that if you want to be heard, it's possible to be heard. Um, And I think that's something that for many people didn't seem like it could be a reality until prior to the pandemic. How would you define black art? It's funny. I mean, like, I realized that evidently uh, Trevor Noah made like a joke about this or something recently, or maybe not so recently, but um, I remember like just saying this, like un- unbeknown or unawares of that, like saying that, you know, it's fascinating how African-American is a phrase that's used that refers to an entire continent. Whereas like we have Italian-American, French-American, like countries, right? But, you know, there's this idea of sort of that blackness is this monolith. And oftentimes, like, that monolith is, like, you know, directly related to class. And I think Black art deals particularly with certain ideas of class, because I think that's generally how we're able to go in and define Blackness in and of itself within America, that it's very difficult to define African-American Black without thinking of inner city poverty or generational, like, disparity. And, I, and so what I, what I think is particularly interesting going is like that black art i think is actually something that exists within this constant place of being redefined because our relationship and our understanding of blackness as a country is constantly changing just as much as how the reaction or understanding of black lives matter changed within a course of six months so i think black art is is a term that like loosely has been used in the past, I think to very much try and like create a certain kind of like narrowness 
like, you know, when we think about like the ways in which uh, certain artists and things like that were kind of like cast, you know, whether it be like, you know, just, you know, uh, Norman Lewis or, or earlier artists, like, of say the Harman, Har- like Harlem Renaissance or whatnot, Elizabeth Catlett, um, as a means of going and subjecting and kind of limiting artists, as opposed to how I feel it exists now, which is like an idea of trying to encapsulate a connection to a certain kind of like sociological kind of condition. I think when I was, when I was younger, when I was growing up, I felt like the, the term black art was something that was also used like as a pejorative because it would oftentimes would go and like be associated with the idea of outsider art where it would be like, Oh, naive art or something. It's like, Oh, like, because many of much of what would be presented within like, you know, uh, what, what I would see or, you know, in terms of like within certain kind of like, uh, institutions or things like that, which would, be pushed forward as quote unquote black art was either art that was literally from Africa or it was art that wasn't, that was like, for instance, like, you know, work that would be going and reference, like would be using like certain kind of like aesthetics that would be that without knowledge of their employment, like whether that be like, you know, um, sort of like minimalist aesthetics or generally like abstract um, aesthetic and not, without an awareness of art canon or European art canon. So, whereas I think the way black art is used now is as an idea of a conversation and a conversation with black art, which I think is very important and very exciting. It is an exciting time. It it really is. And I've enjoyed this episode, this interview very much. At one point I used to ask, my guests, two separate questions. One was, what do you feel is the purpose of art? And then I would ask the question, what do you feel is your role as an artist? But it should be one question because artists create for a number of different reasons. So I'm going to ask you the question. This is our final question. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what is your role as an artist? In many ways, I, I think art is a mirror and in many, and I think of myself as an eye and holding that eye open, even when my lids get heavy, I think is part of what I not only find engaging about an artist, but the most important. And I think the challenge of not looking away, but I think when we look at something, Sometimes we can look with, with anger. Other times we can look with empathy. And I think finding that balance between the role that we want to, that we wish to play and for me to be able to understand and to care that at the end of the day, to look upon something is to consider it. And that I think is caring. And I, that I think is what's important. And, what I wish to continue doing. Well, I found you on Instagram because I was attracted to what you're doing. (laughs) I love your paintings and uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.